Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Well, howdy everyone. Thanks for joining us here on campus and online. When was the first time you heard about Chick-fil-A? Remember that? You know, we're in the north here, and so Chick-fil-A is eh, relatively new compared to other fast food restaurants. So I know for me, the first time I heard about Chick-fil-A, I was like, Chick-fil-what? Like, chicken what? Like, why can't you say the whole thing? What's a Chick-fil-A? I don't even know what that is. But then I heard, like, super interesting, I heard that they were opening a Chick-fil-A across the street from our church. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I heard something else that's fascinating. Maybe you know this. But if you are among the first 100 customers, when a Chick-fil-A opens, you get Chick-fil-A for free for a year. And so this guy slept in a parking lot in a tent <laughs> over there. And I was customer number 33. And it's incredible. Like I'm like, okay, I don't even know much about this, but I'm all for free chicken, right? And so when you sort of go to Chick-fil-A, it starts out like they kind of grab you with the fries, right? These incredible waffle gluten-free deliciousness that you could pretty much dunk in anything, right? And it's going to be incredible. So you come for the fries, but then you kind of grab the classic Chick-fil-A sandwich, right? Buttery toasty bun, crispy chicken, a couple pickles. I mean, this is great stuff. And so someone invites you and says, hey, you should come and check out Chick-fil-A. And you try the fries and you're like, these are great. And then you have the chicken and you're like, these are great. And then you might try the lemonade, (laughs) right? Like who needs a Coke product? Lemonade is like, that is incredible. Then the crispy grilled nuggets. I mean, like the wraps, all the milkshakes. Let's go, right? Like it's all good. Now I'll say this carefully. I do have a beef with Chick-fil-A. I have one beef, the whole breakfast thing, right? So track with me, see if you can follow. There's something about eggs and chicken in one meal, like the baby and the mom together in one. I I don't know, I'm not really, I just, I'm not down with that. But Chick-fil-A is this place that you can kind of explore and and eat all different kinds of different things. It's super cool, it's a great place. Now imagine you had a friend who was a big fan of another restaurant. I don't know, maybe they're a big fan of Mc. Donald's. I call it McThrowup, McGag, McVomit, whatever you want. It's like maybe they're a fan of that. And you say to your friend, hey, have you tried Chick-fil-A? And they're like, no, I'm all for McThrowup. Like I'm a big McDonald's fan. And you say, well, just come and check it out. Like just come and try a chicken sandwich. Come and have the waffle fries. And they go, no, I know McDonald's is better. Wait, you haven't even tried it. You've never even come in and tasted it. How would you know it's better? It's like, I just know it's better. I'm not trying it. You go, that's a problem, right? Especially considering it's McThrowup. And it's like, it's super interesting to think about that in relationship to God. There's a lot of claims about God. There's a lot of Christian claims about God, lots to think about God, a part of an aspect of following God is actually being willing to go and test it out before you make a decision about it. And so David in Psalm chapter 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good, which makes sense when it comes to Chick-fil-A because I can taste Chick-fil-A, but how do I taste God? 
How do I taste a God I can't see or hear, I can't touch? What does that look like? What does that mean? What does David mean when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good? And we kind of talked about this last week, that it's a journey of faith, that I have to be assured of something I hope for and certain of something I do not see. And that's a challenge. But the Christian claim in the Bible makes all these different things. And there are people in our society that just dismiss God and they've never actually come to a church or open up their Bible or start to like examine the claims of God, which is like going to McDonald's and saying it's better than Chick-fil-A without ever even trying it. And so what would it be like for you to explore the claims of Christ with an open heart to see who he is and what he's like? And there's this aspect where you have to step out and taste and try before you make a decision. And if you taste and try and you find him to be unsatisfying and untrue, that's one thing, then walk away. But if you've never tasted and tried, it requires, faith requires us to step out and come and see and try, exercise the claims of God, seek him, step out to try to find him before you make a decision about it. It's interesting, when David wrote, taste and see that the Lord is good, he wrote it hundreds of years before Jesus came to planet Earth. I don't know if he would fully ever realize what we're studying in the book of John, that the word became flesh. I don't know if David would realize when he said, taste and see that the Lord is good, that there would be a day that God would show up on planet Earth and put on skin and walk among us. The word, the eternal second person of the Trinity shows up and puts skin on and actually has breakfast with people. The God of the universe puts on skin and comes down and walks with people because God knows just how difficult it is for us to trust him by faith. He comes and lives among us. And so we're studying this book of John where the word is God, where we're learning that the eternal second person of the Trinity, Jesus shows up on planet earth. And this guy, John, had a front row seat to share who this Jesus was. And he wants and invites us to come and see. And so when he writes his book, John chapter 20, he kind of gives us his thesis for this entire book, which he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. This is his best friend writing. Jesus has performed all this stuff, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written. So what he chose to put in the book of John, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's got this front row seat. John had breakfast with Jesus. He sat with them and he was with them for three and a half years. And then he's lived and this is now his last man standing. He's the oldest of the disciples. He writes this stuff down because he wants to share with us and say to us, come and see, come check this out. And before you dismiss it, come and listen, come and learn, step out and be curious, seek after because what you might find is life and forgiveness and peace, he invites us to come and see. Come and check it out, right? And so if you have your Bibles, let's jump in together. John chapter one, love for you to follow along on your electronic copy. If you're with us or a paper copy, just to help you kind of work through this, we open up the Bible and we learn. And what I love about this passage is whether you've been following Jesus for a couple of weeks or you're just curious about him, or you've been following him for decades, there's something about this section of scripture that inspires all of us to keep exploring. 
that the nature of God is that we keep learning, we keep growing, no matter where you are and how far and how long, you're never at a point where you stop learning, where you stop growing, where you stop exploring and learning more and more and more about the word became flesh. And so it invites us to learn more. Would you pray with me? God, I have no idea why these people are here. I have no idea why people are joining us online, but you know every story of every person. You know us and love us and care about us. And you invite us to follow you and to learn and be curious, to taste and to see, to test drive whether you're legit or not. Whatever we do with our test drive is up to us, but you're a God who doesn't force anything on anyone, but instead invite people to come and see and to follow. So whatever is in our minds today and hearts, I pray you'd help us wherever we are in our journey. We'd lean in and let go of preconceived notions of what you're going to do and how you're gonna do it and just be open to what you might do because you love us and you care greatly about each one of us. So help us, I pray in Christ's name, amen. John chapter one, remember John the Baptist is part of this story and he's like, I'm not the guy, Jesus is the guy, look at him. And last week we looked at a day in the life where two of John the Baptist's disciples started to follow Jesus and just spending time with Jesus is what's transformed this guy named Andrew and this guy named Peter. And that's where we pick up the story in John chapter one, verse 43, it's the next day. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word that's been given to us to help guide us to understand and follow him. Let's unpack this together. So two disciples start to follow Jesus and their lives are changed. The next day, Jesus is walking along in his region and he finds Philip and he says, follow me. Jesus has been around town. He's been a carpenter. He's lived there for 30 years in the region. He's walking, strolling through town, and he says to this guy, Philip, follow me. And it'd be easy to think that Philip is something special. Why did he pick out Philip? I, I don't think there's anything special about Philip. Actually, Jesus says, follow me, 13 times in the Gospels, which means he said it on the regular. Jesus was regularly saying as he walked around the region, follow me. And follow me is always an invitation to be with Jesus. Whenever we see it written in the scriptures, it's also when he says, come and see. When Jesus says, come and see, or when he says, follow me, it's an invitation to be 
with him because it's not a transaction or a religion that Jesus wants. He wants a relationship with us where we're with him and being with him is what changes us. Being with God is what changes. So I think Jesus says to anyone who's tired, follow me. To anyone who's got doubts, follow me. To anyone who's struggling, follow me. Anybody who's got questions, concerns, anxiety, fear, I think on the regular, Jesus was saying to people, follow me, come and see, come and check it out, be with me, and you'll watch how that begins to change you. And so he's with Jesus. Look what happens next. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Jesus says to him, follow me, and Philip actually decides to follow him. And we don't know how long he spent with Jesus, what, what actually took place, what they did when they spent time together, but there's something about spending time with Jesus that made Philip go, you know what, you're not just a carpenter, you're not just a rabbi from town, you're the one Moses wrote about, you're the one prophet spoke about, right? So you are eternal God, he's saying. But I love how he roots this in Nazareth and Joseph, right? It's like, he's like, you're the one spoken about, promised, but like, we know what town you came from and we know your dad. Like he's rooting what he's saying. There's something eternal, wonderful, big God who actually comes from a town and has a dad. Super interesting. And look at what happens next, what Nathaniel says. Nazareth, he says, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. And this is super cool because this is a very normal, natural response. This actually is the Bible putting on display that Nathaniel was prejudiced. Nathaniel was prejudiced against a town called Nazareth, and he's going, can anything good come from that town? And rather than the Bible writers stripping that out of the text, it actually shows us real humanity, that real humans, like a guy named Nathaniel, had a prejudice. It's kind of like, hey, come to my church. My pastor's from Jersey. Jersey? Can anything good come from New Jersey? Because there's this prejudice that we all have whenever we're invited anywhere. When we're invited to leave McDonald's and come to Chick-fil-A, we're like, there's no way it can be as good as a Big Mac. There's no way their fries is good. Prejudice about what we think, and it's an invitation. When there's an invitation to come, we have a prejudice, and the Bible doesn't exclude that from the text, which I think shows its authenticity. Side note, I think many of us have prejudices and preconceived notions about things, but... If we're going to follow God, we must let go of our preconceived notions and our prejudices in order to see how he's going to work. Like you and I are all, we're all going, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? It looks like this. My boss, can anything good come from her? That church, that pastor, that leader, that podcast, that book, could God work through that? Could God work in them? Could God be in that situation or circumstances? And we go, no, 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 that can't be. And what we're doing in that moment is we're limiting the infinite God and trying to put him in a box with a preconceived notion about how he's going to work. And if we're going to follow him by faith, we have to be willing to say how you do things, how you fulfill your promises, how you answer my prayer may not be the way I think. I let go of that. How you do things is up to you. That's above my pay grade. 
And so when Jesus came the first time, people like Nathaniel are going, Nazareth, can anyone good? And there are people that Jesus came the first time that just missed him completely, right? Because they were predetermining how God was going to work. And Jesus is gonna come a second time. And there's people that are rushing ahead to preconceived notions of exactly how it's gonna come. And oh, by the way, they might miss him completely. Because how God answers his prayer and when he answers in prayer and what it looks like, that's above our pay grade. Following by faith says, I believe you and trust you with whatever way you bring about your good work. That was a side note back to Nathaniel. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. It's like Nathaniel's a, fran- a fan of McThrowup. McDonald's uh, is my place, right? And Philip's like, come and see. He has to choose to leave what he knows to come and see something different. And Nathaniel makes the choice to leave what he knows to explore and follow Jesus. Look what happens next when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, right? So someone says, come and see, and he decides to come and see. He's skeptical, he's not sure. Jesus sees Nathaniel approaching and he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathanael takes out a step and makes a step towards Jesus. And Jesus sees him coming. This is a picture of our Christ. He sees people coming while they're even far off and sees the true nature of who they are. Nathanael was just going skeptic. And Nazareth, can anything good from comes in Nazareth? But he turns and starts to walk towards Jesus and Jesus sees him and he sees and knows that Nathaniel's skeptical, but he also sees and knows Nathaniel is sincere. This phrase doesn't mean that Nathaniel's perfect or he's got his act together. It means there's something about him that's sincere and honest and he is honestly curious honestly interested, honestly leaning in to follow and understand. And Jesus sees the sincerity and the honesty. Jesus is God, right? And so with his supernatural ability, he's like, hey, I saw you under the fig tree, right? And it's like, whoa, there's something about that that grabs Nathaniel's heart and causes him to go, you must be the Messiah. You must be something more, But Jesus' reaction is so fascinating. He says, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. You'll see greater. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're impressed because I saw you under a fig tree? It'd be like, man, somebody saw you yesterday at Costco in aisle four buying oatmeal. Like if somebody was like, hey, I saw you, you'd be like, what cameras did you look at? No cameras. I just knew. You'd be like, whoa. You'd sit up and pay attention, right? And so Nathaniel's like, I'm paying attention. And Jesus is like, because I showed you some little display of power or insight, you're impressed with that? I've got more. I got so much more to show you. But Nathaniel took a step, right? He took a step towards Jesus. And in that step towards Jesus, it was when he was told he was going to see more. There's a bunch of stuff I could explain or we could talk about in this passage. Just want to draw out two things that help me. Hopefully it helps you. You know, as humans, we always are trying to climb to God. There's something in all of us that knows like there's a gap between me and God. I know it. I feel it. So do you. 
Like there's something about, I know you're infinite and I'm not. I know you're perfect and I'm not. I know you're holy and I know I'm sinful. And there's this sense of unhumanity where we're always trying to climb to God. We're always trying to clean up our act. We have this preconceived notion that our job to close the gap is to climb to God, to make ourselves better, to be more religious, to clean things up, make ourselves look better, smell better, act better, sound better. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is, yeah, there's a gap between you and me, God and man, but you're not gonna close it by climbing nowhere. I'm coming to you. Right where you are and right how you live and right how you act, I'm coming to you. The word became flesh while I was yet a sinner. Jesus comes to planet earth and walks among people like Nathaniel, who's skeptical but sincere. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't clean up your act and make things better, do things better, figure out religion, work harder, all this religious stuff. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who came from heaven to earth to live and to die and rise again and bring you home. And when you put your trust in him, he does the cleaning up. You can't do it yourself. He does it for you and he transforms you as you spend time with him. And you will see greater things. This is the second thing I learned. You will see greater things if you keep following Jesus. Sort of intrinsic into this story is Nathaniel takes a step to follow, to explore, to consider the claims of Christ. Jesus sees him and recognizes the sincerity of his heart. And it's against the backdrop of him stepping towards Jesus that Nathaniel's sincerity is there. And Jesus is like, I see you stepping. I see you trying. I see you seeking. I see you curious. And I'm going to meet you there. And I'm going to show you more. This isn't Jesus' promise like, hey, I'm going to convince you that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the Son of God. And once I convince you with more information, then you'll follow me. It's like, no, step towards me and I'll show you more. Keep stepping towards me and I will show you more. Keep walking, keep exploring, keep seeking after me. I see your heart and I will show you more and more as you come and see, come and see. So it's super interesting at the end of John's gospel. So this is chapter one. John chapter one, he says to Nathaniel, hey, Philip says to Nathaniel, hey, come and see Jesus. Nathaniel chooses to come. Jesus sees Nathaniel and says, I see your sincere heart. Come and I'll show you more. That's the beginning of Jesus's life. Now go to the end. Jesus has walked on water. He's fed the 5,000. He's done all this teaching and all this crazy stuff. He's died on a cross. He's rose again from the dead. Now he's sitting on the side of a lake in John chapter 21, it says afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, and who? Nathaniel. Guess who's among the people that are still following? They're still coming to see. It doesn't mean that Nathaniel had all his questions answered. It didn't mean he doesn't have doubts. It didn't mean he wasn't still skeptical. It didn't mean he had, had it all together. But he was still there. And guess what? He was still following, and guess what? He got to see more because he was stepping towards it with his curiosity. He wasn't stepping out of it. He was leaning into it, and God saw the sincerity of his heart, and it made a difference. This is the key, I think, to the passage. John says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This is Jesus looking at Nathaniel and saying, I see someone who there is no deceit. It doesn't mean that Nathaniel was perfect. It doesn't mean that he had it all together. There was something sincere that he was sincerely wanting to understand, to grow, to learn. And Jesus met him in that sincerity. 
My mentor says this line to me all the time. He says, honesty is telling others the truth. Integrity is telling myself the truth. There's this aspect of all of us, we're honest. We all wanna be honest, right? I think most of us wanna be honest. Honesty is something exterior. Integrity is something interior. How integral, integrated is your desire to follow Jesus? How honest is it on the inside? Because God knows your real heart. God knows your true motivations. You might on the outside fool a lot of people. You might portray on the outside a lot of things to a lot of people. And maybe it's as honest as you can be. But God sees the inside and you can't fool him or yourself. How, how much integrity do you have? Because sometimes I think there are people that do the church thing and on the outside, they're like, look it, I'm just a church person. I do church things. They're honest on the outside. I do church things. But there isn't a sincere desire to follow God. And sometimes on the outside, it looks like you're just a Christian by name only. But on the inside, there's nothing really sincere going on whatsoever. There's other times there are people that are stumbling and trying to follow Jesus on the outside, and they look like a train wreck. But they're sincerely trying to follow. They're just making mistake after mistake after mistake. And God's like, I see your heart because I know the integrity in which you're following or choosing to seek or to be curious. God knows the real you. So quit trying to fool yourself or other people. If you're sincere, he's going to show you more. It's what he does. He has come to seek and to save what is lost. It's what he does is come and follow me. So with Chick-fil-A, right, you come to Chick-fil-A for the fries, you stay for the chicken, but imagine you spent your whole life eating just this. You might get bored. I think in Christianity, I'm talking to some of you who've been around the block of Christianity for a long time, sometimes you get bored with Christianity. You've done the Christian thing. But have you ever embraced the spicy chicken sandwich? <laughs> and I know what some of you think when I say that, I don't like spices. But any good spice doesn't make your mouth go on fire. It brings out flavor for you to taste and see more. And so order a spicy chicken sandwich with pepper jack cheese and lettuce and tomato, and I'm telling you, it's next level. Add some Chick-fil-A sauce or some honey mustard, right? And if, if Chick-fil-A, there's lots to explore, what about the God who made Chick-fil-A? Like a lifetime of eating at one restaurant, there's more and more on the menu to explore. What about the God who invented food? How much more? And so John, who's got a front row seat to this, and he's trying to write to share this stuff with us, he says something so compelling. Actually, the last line of John's gospel, John chapter 21, verse 25, is such a sort of obscure little verse. It's almost like you could blow past it. But here's a guy who had a front row seat and ate breakfast with Jesus. He's interacted with Jesus. He's writing this to share with you and say, come and see, follow Jesus. And at the last line of his gospel, he says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the whole world would have room for the books that would be written about Jesus. Like if John had a lifetime to write everything he saw in three and a half years, 
The world couldn't fit all the books about this Jesus who came to seek and to save the lost, who didn't overpower or manipulate anyone, but constantly said to people, come and see, come and see. All the interactions, all the conversations are so much, it's an invitation to keep exploring Jesus. Keep learning about him no matter where you are. So maybe on your journey of faith, you're at uh, French Fry State, right? So maybe you come to Jesus for the forgiveness because you feel the weight of your sin and shame and you, you come to Jesus because he hears, you hear that he'll forgive you of your sins and he loves you just the way you are. So you come and explore him. And if you're at the French fry state of your relationship with Christ, that's awesome. What do you do? You come to church and you don't have to come to this church. I don't care what church you go to. Go to a church where they're talking about Jesus in the Bible and learn, ask your honest questions. Don't check your brain at the door. Be curious. Start reading the Bible. I would encourage you to start in John's gospel, right? Because it's Jesus' best friend and he's trying to explain what Jesus is like to people who haven't met him. So it's like, start reading the Bible and start text messaging God. That's just my way. Like, I just have text message conversations with God. Like, God, I need help. God, would you show yourself to me? Just start bringing your questions. Talk to God. That's a French fry state. And you come to Jesus for forgiveness, but you don't stay for forgiveness. You, you start eating something bigger. You stay for a relationship. That I've come to discover you by faith that you forgive me, but you want a relationship with me, not a transaction. You're not just promising me heaven. You want to walk with me now, from now through eternity and forever. And so if you're like at that stage in your journey, come to church, but don't just come to church. Start serving people. Don't be among the people that are just taking. Start giving and helping other people read the entire New Testament. Like don't stop just in John's gospel. How about read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Start reading some of what the apostles wrote about Jesus. Lean into that. Prioritize Christian community, right? Be around other people who are starting to follow or are willing to follow. That's gonna help you taste and see that Jesus is good and start obeying what you know. If you've experienced it, start obeying it. Start listening and following, even when it sometimes doesn't make sense. That's the chicken sandwich stage. But don't just stay there. Get a spicy chicken sandwich, right? You come to church and you serve. You read the whole Bible, not just sections. Go, you know what? I want to read the whole thing from cover to cover because I want to see the full big picture. Well, it's way too long. I can't do that. Yes, you can. Honestly, if I can, you can, right? It's like you can read it and you can understand it. And you go, well, I already read it once. Read it again. Well, I already read it four times. Get a different translation. Read it from the back to the front. Start in the middle and go this way. Like you just do different things to explore the spicy chicken sandwich of Jesus. Like you just lean in and you walk in obedience to whatever you learn. You do it. You put it into practice. This is a curious one to me. So I'm only talking, I'll put a number to this. If you've been following Jesus for a decade, you'd say, I've been a Christian for 10 years. One of the things is, I, don't, I know this is surprising, I'm a pastor, and I hang out with Christians who've been walking with Jesus for 10 years or more, and it's amazing to me how many Christians don't have answers to tough questions because you've not leaned in to learn. Well, if the preacher would just preach deeper sermons, I would understand more. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to make you hungry, for you to lean in. So can you, you've been following Jesus for 10 years, can you answer how does a good, loving God and evil and suffering come together? Can you answer that question? 
The answer is you can if you lean in yourself to learn. We have this incredible website that has a resource page where we curate resources for you to learn and grow. You've been following Jesus for a decade and you don't understand the Trinity. It makes you scratch your head to go, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's awkward. You're 10 years following Jesus, learn. You don't have to wait, start now. Lean into hard topics. Go on the websites, like all kinds of information out there. Say, I wanna know, I wanna grow, I wanna learn. I wanna continue to eat and taste and see that he's good. It's requiring of me to lean in and get discipled, which is just, man, if there's somebody a half a step ahead of you in their journey of faith, you look up to somebody because you look at their life and you go, I think I see Jesus in you and you're a little bit ahead of me. Why not go up to that person and say, can you teach me how to do that? I wanna know, I wanna learn. Or maybe you look at somebody around you and you go, man, I think I could help that guy, that girl. I'm a half a step ahead of them. I wanna show them, not arrogantly, but let me help you see that, boy, don't stuck with fries. You can have a spicy chicken sandwich. Help me to sh- I'll show you, right? You lean in and in that you begin to grow, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see, it's an invitation to keep coming wherever you are in your spiritual journey. Don't stop, taste and see that he's good. Maybe you just started, great. Maybe you've been around the block for decades, great. Keep coming and stay hungry, my friends. Stay hungry, my friends. Here's the deal, sometimes the reason we're not hungry is because we've been eating french fries our entire Christian life. It's time to move past French fries and start leaning in, start serving, start obeying, start giving. Maybe you're bored with that. You gotta get a spicy chicken sandwich. It's time, right? Like you gotta lean in and do more. Like say, God, I wanna know you more. I wanna lean in. I'll say this gently. Some of us, the reason, and again, I'm talking to some of you who've been around the block. Some of you, the reason that you're not hungry is because you've been sitting on your Christian couch consuming a lot of Chick-fil-A and doing nothing with it. You're a Christian couch surfer. Lots of knowledge, lots of information. You're not using it and therefore you're not hungry. It's time to start exercising your faith. It's time to start loving people that are hard to love. It's time to start serving and giving and praying and leaning into tough topics because as you exercise your faith, you'll grow more hungry. Maybe you never thought of this. When was the last time you asked God, would you please make me hungry? I want to know you. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. So you step out, you say, I wanna follow you, I wanna understand you, I'm curious, wherever you are in your journey, Maybe you send a text message to God that says, God, would you make me hungry? I was hungry for you back in the day. I haven't been hungry in a while. Would you whet my appetite and help me to know you more? I wanna lean in. God, I've got questions. I'm an atheist. I've struggled. I've been discouraged. I've been hurt by the church. Would you help me? Would you make me hungry to know your word? When you open your Bible, would you make me hungry to know more of you? I wanna obey you, I wanna follow you. God, I have preconceived notions of how you're gonna work this week, how you're gonna work through this person. Would you help me to let go of those preconceived notions and trust you? And in that, God's going to work and care for you and show you 
more, but you can't sit at McDonald's and say, God, prove yourself to me because more information is not going to make your appetite change. Step towards him and watch. He's gonna see the real you and he's going to engage you and show you more. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for seeing us for our true selves. Thank you that you saw Nathaniel as skeptical but sincere. Thank you that you called him and you showed him more. Would you help us, God? Because some of us have doubts and some of us are tired and some of us are bored. Some of us are apathetic. Some of us are tired. Would you meet us where we are? Would you help us to trust you, to take a step towards you? That you want to give sincere people more, sincere sons and daughters, you want to expand their understanding, expand their obedience, expand their love, expand their peace. It isn't about us cleaning up our act or doing things better, but it is about sincerely wanting you and wanting to know you more. So it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of us. You see the true Joe and the true people in this place. We bring our true selves to you. We ask you to do more than we can imagine. Show us more of you. And may we look more like you. May we be hungry for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.